Today's podcast is presented by Podco. Podco is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. So you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podco. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podco.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And be sure to add the Stuff Up podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podco section of the application. And welcome to the Step Up Podcast, a place where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others while having some fun along the way. In his book, The Power of Your Leadership, John Maxwell says, when someone comes to me and says he wants to become a leader, one of the first questions I ask is, why? Why do you want to become a leader? Is it because you want a corner office? Is it for a premium parking place or a top salary? Is it for the perks and recognition? All of these are wrong motives. People who want to become leaders for any reason other than adding value are very off base. For most people who don't add value to others, their actions aren't motivated by hate or even self-centeredness, they're usually caused by indifference. However, no one can be indifferent and live a life of significance. We have to want to make life better for others to make a difference. Many people approach this too casually. They are prompted by circumstances. They see a person in trouble and stop to help. Or a friend calls needing assistance and they respond. That's good. But there is another higher level of adding value that significant people embrace. It's intentional. It's proactive. It's a lifestyle. In today's episode, I welcome speaker, trainer, and coach with the John Maxwell team, and she is an overall amazing woman, Carmela Williams. I asked Carmela to come on and talk about leadership and what that means to her. You and I met in 2016 at the John Maxwell event, uh, and you were the leader at my table. How cool is that? That is so cool. <laughs> so... Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do and your story and what led you to be interested in and involved with leadership. Okay. My name is Carmela Williams. Um, my husband, Troy, and I are both certified with John Maxwell team. Um, my background is in human resources uh, and church leadership. And from that, I was doing several trainings for leaders using John Maxwell's books before there was a JMT certification. Uh, 
Oh, and really? So, <laughs> yes. <Nice. laughs> and so when I found out there was a certification, I put it on my vision board. And so it was on my vision board for three years until I was able um, to make the investment into myself and into my future to be able to go and do that certification. So I had been doing leadership long before um, John Maxwell. I didn't know what a certification was or any of that. I didn't even realize <laughs> that I wasn't supposed to be teaching his stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> really? So, was that a thing where you're not really supposed to be? <laughs> no, because you know, you know how that is. Sometimes if you go into those organizations and you're teaching, they may give you an offering or something and you can't teach somebody else's materials and get paid for it, you know? <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> And so, but I didn't know that. <laughs> but um, so when I found out there was a certification, I was so excited and um, it did not disappoint. And what it did was it just added um, layers. I think the word I like to use is it added some substance to my leadership. It added a different set of layers and to be able to be around people who didn't look like me, who didn't think like me, who had gone a little bit further than me was really inspiring. And so from that point to this one, um, we I just eat, sleep, and breathe leadership. Whether I'm watching cartoons or no matter what it is, I can turn it into a leadership training. <laughs> so we have, um, um, my husband and I, we've been married 17 years. We have seven children, four grandchildren, and a dog. So I'm I'm family girl, Um, we're ministry leaders, community leaders, and then we run our own business, T.C. Williams Enterprises. Wow. Seven kids? Seven. Whoa, because I see your pictures (laughs) of your kids and your grandkids, but I didn't realize there was seven. Seven. (laughs) You are busy. (laughs) Five girls and two boys. So you were an expert in leadership even before you started reading John Maxwell. Exactly. Exactly. You can learn so much from your children, I'm telling you. And even in in their adult lives, they're all adults, even in their adult lives, it is still a journey and and I'm no longer just telling them what to do. I'm coaching. Yeah. So um, I've, I've learned how to communicate from a totally different perspective when it comes to our children. Right. That is so awesome. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think it means to be a good leader? Growing up for me, it was like you were just born a leader or, you know, and, and you couldn't really be taught. So you were, there was the leaders and there was the followers. So I was like, yeah. well, I'm a follower. Nobody listens to me, you know? Yeah. So what do you think it means to be a good leader? I think a good leader can connect with their people, regardless of their background, regardless of their learning style. Um, One of the things I've learned about leadership is that one person may need uh, more praise than the other person. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, One person may need me just to be very direct. Um, One person may need for me to listen to them a few minutes and talk about their family and what's going on at home before they can even start to concentrate on what's on on, um, what's necessary for business or what we're focusing on for the day. So I think that a good leader can connect with their people, regardless of their background. I think that leadership can be learned. Um, Mm. My background was not one where I was groomed to be a leader. 
Um, I was a teenage mom. Um, I went through some of the same things that other teen moms go through where you kind of ostracized. In all of that, I still was an honor graduate in high school. I still was an honor graduate in college, but nobody looked at those things. They only focused on what I had done wrong. And then I was ostracized. And then you have the parents saying, well, you can't connect with her because that's the little promiscuous girl, you know? So you find yourself being ostracized in a small town because I, that was, um, that's where I come from, you know? I'm glad to say, though, that we broke that, I call it a generational curse. My girls got their college degrees, you know, they're married, you know, and all of those things. So I'm grateful that my children didn't become a statistic. But I had to fight really hard um, to make sure that I learned all I could and that I poured into my children so that they did not become a statistic. And so I worked really hard at that. And, And then I looked to people who could pour into me. So I believe that leadership can be learned. And the people that I learned it from was not my family. Your story is so inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. When they they put you in a little box and say, well, you've done this. And especially when all they see is, you know, mistakes that you've made or things that like, Wow, an honor graduate. I wasn't an honor graduate and I had no kids. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> so, you know what I've noticed even working at different jobs and having different managers. And I said to one person um, who had the same manager as me, I was like, for me, I need the, what is it? The sandwich where you give me the compliment, then tell me what yep. I need to do. And then, yep. you know, uh, but she goes, no, no, I just want you to tell me what it's like. And then <laughs> just say what I need to do and I'm good. And right. so do you think that's like a good leader needs to just listen to kind of understand the needs of people and listen to what, because what Definitely. you said, you, you will, you will connect with different people in different ways. Because each person on your team needs something different. So I'm also DISC certified. And so with DISC, you know, we talk about the four different learning styles. I think it's so important. And a lot of that is missing um, because we are not taught that everybody needs something different. So like some people, they learn, people learn from hearing, seeing, and doing. So if I'm giving a presentation to your your team, I may learn by hearing, but somebody else in there needs to see it. Somebody else in there is kinesthetic. They need to put their hands on it. And so as a good trainer, it's my responsibility when I come in to make sure that all three components are um, being delivered. So regardless of who's sitting in that classroom, they can get something away from the training. It's the same thing for a leader that we have to be uh, pay attention to the needs of our team. Right. What does leadership mean to you personally? Well, what does leadership mean to me personally? I probably can go into the person that inspired me the most. And I think that that will tell you why I like leadership. Mm. Um, And she was, um, her name's Norma. That was my first real job. And um, she was my supervisor and she was really tough. Um, as a matter of fact, I was afraid to even apply for the job, wow. you know, because the rumors in the office was, you know, she don't play. She tough. She and she really was. She was really tough. But I needed that. Let me tell mm-hmm. you, um, she was tough. She, we were dealing with numbers. You know, my background is payroll and human resources. So you can't be playing around when it comes to people's pay. 
And um, (laughs) so she was real big on compliance and, you know, things of that nature. But this was the thing. I remember sitting in my office one day and somebody came to my office. Her office was around the corner and they were being real disrespectful. I was trying to uh, explain to them what had happened. I was trying to offer solutions, how things could be corrected. And they were just being rude. And I'll never forget. She came around that corner and she said, if you have a problem with Carmela, you should come and speak to me. And it was at that moment I realized she was tough on me, but she was not going to allow anybody else to crush me. She was there to support me. And I remember there was several times in payroll, like when life was happening, you know, you know, I went through some hardships and relationships and things like that. She would come in my office and close the door. She said, now, listen, I've already straightened this out on the other end, but I need to know if you're okay. You're going to be able to get yourself together. You know, I needed that type of leader. So although she was really um, strong, she was very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? She was very straightforward. I didn't have, there was no blurred lines. I didn't have to guess what she expected out of me. But listen at this, she also cared about me and my children. When I thought I was going to have to resign because I had four kids at the time, I needed to be able to get them from school. She went to her boss my boss's boss, to get um, clearance for me to adjust my hours so that I could take care of my children. When I got married, she hosted the um, reception. So my children called her that call her their aunt. You know, she was she was tough. She was structured at work, but she also cared about my needs. And she knew that family was very important to me. And when I worked on this job, I was the youngest employee on this job. And so those women just poured into me. There would be days I would show up at work so tired that I could not, you know, I couldn't focus. And one of the ladies said, you need to put your children on a schedule. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you put them to bed at the same time. See, I'm telling you, I didn't know. <laughs> she, said, she said, put them to bed at the same time every night. It's going to be hard for the first few weeks, but I promise you it'll work. And guess what? It worked. Wow. It was just things like that. I mean, I had one child that had asthma and I, and I, I promise I'm tying this into leadership. <laughs> I had one child that had asthma and I was just they were giving me the runaround and that same lady came back and she said, why don't you call a specialist? I said, because I have to have a referral. She said, Carmela, you're not on Medicaid and welfare anymore. You call the doctor. So I did not know what just everyday things. And so to me, leadership is just that being able to make sure that my team have what they need at work, make sure that they don't have to read between the lines. I'm very straightforward. They know what's expected of me. But I also lead them and I care about what it is that they need. And each individual needs something different. And in that season of my life with little kids and a single mom, you know, starting a new career, I had no idea how to balance all of that. But the leaders that were in my life at that time, they poured into me in areas that went far beyond work. And i that's the type of leader I want to be. I remember sitting down with Norma and I asked Norma, um, why do you help me? And she told me the salad story and it was her story. And I shared this at my very first um, JMT event. Her story was that she went off from home and she had married the love of her life and it didn't work out. He left her and she was trying to get back home. She was down to her last. She scraped up a little bit of money, walked to the store. She had enough money to buy a salad and on the way home, she dropped it. And she said she had no money, nothing to eat. And she said she cried out to God, if you'll help me get through this, 
I promise I'll help somebody else. And then seven years later, here I come. And so she poured into me as my leader. And then she told me, she told me, and then when you get on your feet, I want you to do the same. And that's what I do. So as a leader, I help. I pour into young moms, those moms that have been pushed to the side and been forgotten about. I help them because somebody helped me. I didn't do this by myself. Other women poured into me and gave me an opportunity and I took it. I I was like a sponge. I soaked up everything I could and I ran with it. Wow. You're making me cry. And I'm trying not to cry. (laughs) I love these stories that they're inspiring. They're beautiful. They're sad, but it just, they're real. Yeah. And, oh, it's, it's like you had a community. I did. At your work that were helping you. That's exactly right. And it wasn't just one. It was all of them. They would all pour into me. I did. That is beautiful. Did you, because you know how sometimes people want to speak into your life, and certain people can do things in a certain way where it's like a little too much. Um, right. You also have to be willing to accept that because there are people who, you know, you try to offer help or suggestions and all of a sudden they're like, no, you know. Right. So you also have to be willing to also accept that help or accept that leadership from others, you know, in a way where you're not so closed off. That's right. And 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 that's one of the things we I love to do is – expose people to something else, right? So as a leader, we have to see, they were aware that I didn't know. Yeah. There were, there were basic things that I just did not know and had not been exposed to. Um, there will be weekends when I would go and hang out with my friends or whatever. I was never a drinker, smoker, none of that kind of stuff, but I would come back to work and Norma would say, who have you been around this weekend? And I didn't understand what she was saying. And then one day she said, when she said, I can tell when you go so-and-so, because when you come to work, your words are different. You talk different. So I had to learn how to switch out and make sure that when I spoke at work, that it was professional. I had a, a, a leader that didn't say, oh no, this girl, this girl is not ready for this level. So let me just get somebody else in here. No, she mentored me. Hmm. You know, she pulled me to the side and said, you need to work on your language when you're around so-and-so. You don't realize when you come back to work how you ch- how your um, demeanor is different and your words are different. Wow. <laughs> that is perceptive. Yeah. Like, it's true. I, I mean, I've noticed in my own life being around certain people or, I mean, I'm pretty bad with TV, right? Like, if I'm watching a lot of TV, and I said this to people, if I'm watching a lot of TV and I'm not doing much reading, I get yeah. dumb. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. Like my words, I, I'm like, wait, what's that word? And like, uh, the thing, I mean, I right. say that a lot, but it's worse when I, when I'm not, when I'm just watching TV and not really, um, reading or engaging or, you know, that's so, right. yeah, that's real. Wow. You know, God was so awesome that my first job was in a place where just like you said, I had that community that poured into me and they mentored me and they coached me and they helped to develop me as a leader. So I, you know, I think as a, a good, any good leader, develop another leader. That's a good word. Develop. I like yeah. that. <laughs> um, do you have like a favorite inspirational or encouraging saying about leadership that really speaks to you? Well, you know, you know, the famous JMT quote is the one that always comes to mind. Leaders know the way, go the way and show the way. Um, because I had that. And then I, I, 
I want to be that. I want to be the leader that's always learning. I want to be the leader that don't mind taking the risk and going first. I want to be that kind of leader that um, even in ministry, right? Even in, even at our church, I was talking to somebody just in casual conversation. And I said, well, listen, I got to go because Troy and I are going to clean the church. And they said, y'all the pastors. Yeah. You know, the pastors don't clean the church. What are you talking about? And so I had to pause and tell her, we don't ask anybody to do stuff that we don't do. We like being to the church, turn on the music, you know, and cleaning the church and, and being there in that environment. We actually like it. It's okay. We don't ask our team to do anything that we're not willing to do. And the person that I was talking to was totally foreign. They were like, I just don't, I don't understand why you have to. We don't have to. But as leaders, you have to show your team that I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. Wow. That that would be my reaction too. Like, you're the pastors. Why are you sitting <laughs> in the church? <laughs> you know, sometimes we just go to the church. We just, we see things that need to be done. We just do it. You don't wait. You just do it. And then those are the type of leaders that we want to reproduce. The type of leaders that when they show up, they don't walk over the trash. They pick it up because they see us doing it. So we're showing them how to do it. It's not that you have to. It's, because, it's that we demonstrate. And I think that good leaders do that. Yeah, because people, it's like your children, right? They're That's watching exactly what you right. do. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And the leaders, I remember, I think it was John Maxwell or probably other people have said, it's probably in the Bible too somewhere. <laughs> leaders <laughs> are servants, Definitely. right? And not in the way, like, I, I remember saying that to somebody at a job I worked and they're like, what? No, like leaders are the big shots. And I'm like, but they're serve. They should have a servant attitude in the sense yes. that they're not acting like they're all that, you know? <laughs> you, and you really have to be careful because if you think about the great leaders, the leaders in our nation that ruled with fear, they were always taken out by people on their own team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Right. But when when you lead, when you lead, people will follow you. Listen at this. My mentor, one of my mentors told us this. They said people will follow you for two reasons, either to be um, strengthened by your strengths or to hide behind your weaknesses. So they connect with you um, in a way because maybe maybe some young women will connect with me to be strengthened by my strengths. But if I'm doing some things that lack integrity, I can't correct them on it if they see me doing it. So they're going to follow me to either be strengthened by my strengths or to be or to hide behind my weaknesses because I can't correct them if they see me doing it constantly. And so and I have to make sure that the leaders that I lead understand that if you do this, you're telling everybody on your team that it's okay to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at it from that perspective, you're always demonstrating. You're always leading by what you're doing just a part of it. And that reminds me of integrity, right? Isn't integrity where you're doing it no matter who's watching, you're doing the That's right exactly thing. Right. That's exactly right. And then right. people are usually watching anyway, even if you think they're not watching. <laughs> and in this day and age, just when you think nobody's watching somebody, a video will pop up of you doing something. So, oh my word. <laughs> you know, 30 years ago, you probably could hide it a little bit longer. It's best now to just do what's right, even if no one's looking. Yeah. Just do what's right. That's one thing I find, like, I remember growing up in the church and in the 80s, a lot of things were, um, you had to pretend it was very fake, right? Right, And so now I love just 
being authentic or like, I love real people. That's like right. If you share your, your weaknesses with me, I know that you're not perfect because That's I'm not exactly perfect. Right. <laughs> you're relatable. You're relatable. You're relatable. When I go into a group to speak, it, it, I do my research, right? So when I went to um, speak at Housing Authority to their residents, I shared my story of being a single mom and living in the projects because that's where those women were. And so I shared it in the beginning so that they could relate to me. Mm. But when I stand in front of the group of executives, I'm going to share a different story so that they can relate to me. Right. And so you have to be able to connect with people wherever they are. And it's, I I remember coaching somebody and um, they were speaking and she was like, I need a different story. I said, no, you need one story. You need one story that you customize depending on who that audience is. You don't share everything with everybody, but you share um, what they need so that they can hear you, so that they know that you see them and then they can receive from you. Because if they feel like, oh, you're untouchable, then it's hard for people to receive from you. You You have to be able to be relatable depending on who that audience is. So true. Oh, my word. You're speaking truth. (laughs) Because, yeah, I remember, like, I would, even at a young age, even as a teenager, I was looking for a mentor, but I didn't really know it. And so I would kind of approach women in the church and, like, the pastor's wives, a lot of the time they felt so up there. And I was like, why would they even want to talk to me? And it wasn't until one of the pastor's wives offered to mentor me, and she was so real with me. And she, she even said to me, Cause you know, you struggle, like sometimes you don't want to do your devotions or like spend time with God. And she's like, sometimes all I can do is just read one bird or, you know, just a little bit. And I was like, really? Cause I thought she was, you know, sitting up there reading for hours. (laughs) Right. That's right. (laughs) So it's, oh, it's so freeing. And I think nowadays we're more authentic. Yeah. Um, which I, I re- really appreciate because I do not yeah. want to go back to those days. <laughs> That's exactly right. You definitely have to be in the right place, be in a place where you can respect the leader um, so that you can receive from them because it's hard to receive from a leader that you don't respect. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as somebody in a leadership role, what has been your greatest accomplishment? <laughs> if you can think of uh, one. Outside of my children, you know, and my my immediate family, I would say developing other leaders. I don't take credit for what they've done um, because all I can do is be their coach, but they have to do the work. But to see somebody have a vision, be unsure, but they know what it is they want, but they're not sure how to get there and to be able to just help them along the way. And then you can look back and see um, what they've desired to do has manifested. And I know that's kind of... um, I don't want to sound churchy because I'm not, I'm not even talking about a church example. I'm talking about, you know, somebody in business that I have watched um, take their business from just them to leading a, a, a team and to be able to pour into their team. And now they have leaders on their team that's leading a team, you know, so not, it's not enough to just develop leaders and then they can't help anybody. But to be able to help people get to that place in leadership, 
that where they could also reproduce. They could take what I've given them plus what they have and then develop their own strategy um, to pour into their own vision. And then now they can raise up a whole nother group of leaders because what happens is we can't affect generational change if it's one-sided, if I'm just trying to hold things in. I don't believe in, I've heard somebody say this, or they say, I'm a self-made man. I just don't believe in that. I believe that we are where we are because somebody gave us a chance. Mm -hmm. You may not acknowledge it. And I, and I want to be that person that gives somebody a chance to help them get to the next level, because that's how I got to where I am. Mm. That's amazing. Do you find that that's one of the things, like I've been talking with a friend about finding your passion, like what, what makes you get up in the morning and get excited about life? And do you find that's one of the things that you just are like, another day I can motivate somebody or like, do you find that that's your passion? My, my passion is helping single moms. That's my passion because that's where my journey started. Um, that's where my hardship started. You know, and if, if you talk to most people and they're honest, a lot of times our passion comes from our place of greatest pain. Right. And because I can help them, you know, I, I may, I don't have all the answer, but if it's, a, let me tell you this in our mentoring program for, for, for moms, I help them do a couple of things. It's two goals. One to set their educational goal two to set their career goals, regardless of how many children they have. Because if they can realize that I'm not doing, I, you no longer say I can't do this because of my kids. You say I have to do this for my children. Mm -hmm. And so if you just help to change that mindset, it shifts everything. So my passion is helping those women see beyond what they see, right? I tell them, you got to see it before you see it. Like you got to be able to dream um, if money is not an issue, um, you don't have any obstacles in front of you, what would you be doing? And to help them to get to that place and to keep that vision in front of them, they could change the world. They could be raising up the next president. They could be raising the next scientist that has the cure for cancer. We don't know. My job is just to pour into them. And so my business allows me um, to do what's necessary so that I can mentor and pour into these women. Wow. That is beautiful. <laughs> There's so much of that in the world. Like one of my passions is um, uh, teenagers. Cause yeah. I remember what it felt like to feel so insecure to really hate myself right. as a teenager. And right. so, yeah. And, and, and there's so many single moms who need help. There's so many teenagers who like, I mean, the world is full of hurting people, right? So. Right. That's right. Yeah. People look to leaders to keep them inspired and motivated. How do you keep others motivated despite obstacles and conflict? Starts with me. I have to make sure that I have a daily routine of keeping myself lifted because I can't give if I'm empty. Right. So I have to make sure that I'm constantly learning. I have my regular devotions that I do in the morning. I'm going to listen to some type of audio. And typically from my devotion, I'm going to get some type of word of encouragement. So when uh, COVID-19 first started, I became the official reporter for the church, right? So and, and then uh, so I had to find out what was going on so that we can make the necessary, the right decisions. And I found myself very overwhelmed um, and even fearful because I was inundated with that data. 
And so I said, you know, I, I cannot do what I need to do effectively, worried and fearful. And so I said, I'm going to do, people need to smile. And so on Facebook, I just did a two minute video, uh, a, a daily affirmation, but I called it a daily smile. I didn't think much of it. And um, people were talking about it all day and they were writing the affirmation. So I did it the next day and the next day and the next day. And I, I remembered one that I did called I am enough. And then people started coming in my inbox. I don't feel like I'm enough. I don't, I don't feel like I have, you know, what what's necessary for me to be a good mom or to be, you know, a good employee. Just people were dealing with all kinds of emotions on top of the fear, you know, that was, that was, that was everywhere. And so I found that in order for me to be able to help people, it first started with me making sure that I um, had a clear mind and I had a clear point of focus for the day. So I had every day get up, and intentionally, it don't just happen. I don't wake up saying, okay, I'm ready to help somebody today. It don't work like that. I have to be very intentional um, to make sure that my mind is right, that I'm alert, that I'm in the right frame of mind to be able to help somebody else. I mean, it just don't, it doesn't just happen. I have to be intentional. Right. I've noticed that myself, like learning with a the John Maxwell team and, and just other very inspiring motivational people. Cause I was like, well, how, like I wake up and I hate my life. And so how am I supposed <laughs> to, you know, and I hated my job and I always hated my job cause I never found anything I liked. And, right, right. and I'm like, how do these people do it? Like, are they just happy? And I've learned it takes work. Like I have That's to exactly wake up right. and, and be like, say my affirmations and say right. like, you know, <laughs> be intentional about it. Definitely. You have to be intentional or life will just take you over because, you know, people see us on social media and they see what we allow them to see. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. we, we, we have to, I've in the last 10 years, I've buried loved ones. Um, my mom had uh, overcame cancer in the last 12 months. I've had three surgeries. I'm out on medical leave as we're doing this now. Um, I have, and, and let me tell you something I've learned about people that are home recovering from sickness, they have to battle depression. Mm, yeah. It's it's almost a part of that healing process. You have to make sure every day you get up and tell your mind, I can do what I need to do today. And how I feel right now is not going to govern the rest of my day. You have to be intentional. Otherwise, um, you just going to, it's just going to be, it could be crazy. It could be a pit. You could have a pity party because misery loves company. So that's not the kind of company I want. So I choose, I choose, I choose. I'd say this three times, right? I choose, I choose, I choose to have a good day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's my decision. Yeah. And anybody that comes into my space that upsets that I have the authority to lovingly excuse myself. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I wish they would teach this in the schools. Start us out with this. Like, right. you know, because a lot of it I didn't understand. I thought people were just like, well, you're born an optimist or you're born a pessimist. And so I remember being like, well, I'm more of a pessimist because that's kind of how I grew up. But right. then I was, I learned you choose it, you know, that's right. I can choose to be more optimistic at, but it's been a learning process, man. <laughs> I've learned this, this, what I'm talking to you. If you were to ask me these questions when I was 20, the answers would not be positive. Just like you said, I've learned to look for the good. I've learned to only accept, you know, and I'm still learning. 
because there are some people that I really love that really frustrate me. And I'm learning, you know, let's be honest, yeah. right? But I'm learning that I don't have to listen to it. <laughs> and their problem is not my problem. I'm learning that. And and so, and I tell people that and they're like, yes, yeah, easier said than done. They're right. It is easier said than done, but I am the governor of my own life. And it's a journey. When yes. you might think you're I've gotten through that and I'm over it. And then something happens and you're like, darn it. That's exactly right. <laughs> I have to relearn it or, you know. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm not totally healed in that area. Yeah. And so, so, you know, God is so cool. He'll shine a light on that area. You're not totally healed in it. And so you just give it back to him and try it again. Yeah. <laughs> if people wanted to re- reach out to you, um, is there any way that they can contact you? Uh, my website is carmelawilliams.com, C-A-R-M-E-L-A Williams.com. Um, and my email address is carmelawilliams76 at gmail.com. So awesome. You can find me. I'm, all, I'm everywhere. I'm on Twitter. I'm, on, I'm literally everywhere <laughs> my children are. I, I, this is what I started way back in the MySpace days, right? Oh, everywhere yeah. my kids were on social media, I was there. And so it's the same now. I'm everywhere. That's funny. <laughs> And you're always on, I'm always like seeing your posts and you're like yeah. asking questions, which are funny. <laughs> so don't be fooled now. I use a scheduling tool too. <laughs> oh, cause I'm like, how do these people get any work done? Like if I'm on social media, honestly, I'm not really getting much work done. Right. I'm just like nice. scrolling through. <laughs> right. Yeah. With, you know, I do have to be very active and engaged because I have various businesses and I do a lot of my business via social media, but a lot of things that you see, you know, have been prepared in advance so that I can get work done and use time blocking techniques and things of that nature. Ah, very smart. (laughs) Thank you so much, Carmilla. It was so nice seeing you. Your face again. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for having me. I mean, our JMT family is absolutely amazing and I love seeing what everybody is doing. And uh, thank you for this opportunity to just share. Felt like I was just sitting here with an old friend talking. Yay. (laughs) All right. Well, have a wonderful day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. During our discussion, Carmela mentions that she is DISC certified. In episode four, when I spoke with Chris Baker, he also mentioned DISC. And I thought that DISC was actually something that the John Maxwell team kind of started. <laughs> but the I googled it. Um, DISC is a behavior assessment tool based on the DISC theory of psychologist William Marston, William Moulton Marston, which centers on four different personality traits, which are dominance, influence, steadiness, and conscientiousness. So I don't really know what that means, but uh, it sounds pretty exciting. And I just Googled uh, Marston. This sounded familiar. He created Wonder Woman, Professor Marston. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's cool. Anyway, so that is what DISC is. I want to thank Carmela Williams for coming on this podcast and talking about leadership. It was such, it was so much fun talking to you, Carmela. If you could go and rate and review my podcast, you can go to Apple Podcasts to do that or on any of your podcast apps, or you can also go to ratethispodcast.com backslash step up.
As always, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Stuff Up Podcast. You can email me at stuffuppodcast at gmail.com. And I do have a website in which I blog about the different topics for each of the episodes. And for that, you can go to www.stuffuppodcast.com. You won't want to miss December 1st episode, in which my friend Anne and I talk about our love for The Office, the U.S. version. We discuss things like, what are the cringiest Michael moments? Or some of our favorite or least favorite? (laughs) Was Toby just really annoying or did you like him? Uh, Honestly, we talked about a variety of things, Uh, but mostly we talk about how Michael develops self-awareness and he grows as a person throughout the series. So that was a really fun conversation. (laughs) And as you all know, I love The Office. As always, thank you so much for listening. You guys are amazing. And hey, I'd love to hear from you. You know, comment um, what you think on the blog or on Facebook and Instagram or send me an email. What kind of topics would you guys like to hear? Do you hate me? Do you love me? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Oh, that's the scariest part, right? Does somebody hate you out there? Ah. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening. I hope you go out there and make it a great day. Bye-bye.